you can be optimistic and not engage in toxic positivity. And what that really means is that you allow yourself and other people to hold space for the good, the bad, and the neutral. Hi guys, we're your hosts, Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adult, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hi friends, we hope you're doing great, but honestly, if you're not, that's totally okay too. You've come to the right place. (laughs) You totally have. And we hope that you can at least just open up about it because that's what this week's episode is all about. And we are so excited to share this one with you because it's so freaking important now more than ever. 100%. We are really obsessed with this topic. We've been talking about it for a long time. And today we're chatting about toxic positivity with renowned therapist and author Whitney Goodman. And she is so amazing. She delivers so much real talk and truth bombs. And it just honestly, we love talking to her. So stay tuned. She's because this episode is so damn validating. And if you're wondering what the fuck toxic positivity even is, look no further than all of the good vibes only. Everything (laughs) happens for a reason. It'll make you stronger culture that's around us. That's honestly the the epitome of it. It's really just like the slippery side of self-help that can force us to feel like we have to be happy. We must be positive at Mm -hmm. all times. Otherwise, we're failing and we're doing something wrong. Yeah, and I'm very guilty of this. I say that a million times in this episode. This episode was meant for me (laughs) because it's true with with toxic positivity. You're just not fully acknowledging those negative emotions that you're feeling and you don't leave any space for talking about real difficult things and you're just not actually able to process them. And that's something that I tend to do a lot. And it can also look like an obsession with positive thinking that stops you from actually going through what you're feeling and riding that emotional wave. Or it can also come out with dismissing the negative experiences of the people around you. So if someone's going through something and you're just like, it'll be fine, don't worry, you always get through these things, like that is not Mm -hmm. helpful. So if you find you're always trying to put a positive spin on everything, this one's for you. Yeah, and it's great to, like, listen, you can still be optimistic. You can still yes. s- see the good in everything. I consider myself to actually be, like, a really Pollyannish person that, like, naively only usually sees the good in things. Yes. But I don't try to put silver linings on things that are just innately bad. And so I think mm-hmm. that's that's where the line is. Like, you, we're not saying that you need to dwell on the negative. So really, if you're trying to figure out the difference between, like, okay, how can I be optimistic without engaging in in toxic positivity? Mm -hmm. It's that you need to go through and acknowledge the hard shit and make space for it and, like, not go through life pretending or being delusional all in the name of positivity. Once you encounter that, once you go through something that's difficult, you acknowledge the feelings, you deal with them, then you can look for some good things that can happen. You know, you can, like, look back and be like, wow, I really grew from that. Or, wow, like, that job loss led me to something way greater and you can do that because you actually went through the process through of it. feeling the shitty things too. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for examples, some of the the times I find that toxic positivity really comes out is with like grief and loss because I think people really don't know what to say in general in those difficult times. If there's been a, yeah. a death or a breakup, we, we talk about this in our interview today, but that's when you get a lot of like general platitudes. That's when, when people... 
they don't want to engage on like a, a deep level about these really difficult feelings that they might not understand or be comfortable mm-hmm. talking about so that's when it's like everything will be okay or it had to happen sooner or later or like better to know now and <sighs> shit like that it's it's just not helpful so if you're in those scenarios and you just don't know what to say keep listening we have a lot of great advice from Whitney but just know it's okay not to know what to say you can also just be like I've never gone through something like this I'm so sorry you're doing I can't imagine yeah it must be like that's way more helpful you don't have to fix everything for people yeah that's that's a huge thing another example too is in ourselves if we feel like we can't deal with the intensity of our emotions or our experiences so we just hide behind toxic positivity Mm because it's way easier to just pretend to be okay than actually go through all the emotions and that's what I tend to do a lot like I'm very very guilty of pretending I'm okay when I'm when I'm not and like you've experienced that with me lately because yeah Honestly, the first four months of having Mia, it literally took me four months to realize that I was like really not okay. And there was probably some postpartum depression that was in there. And why do you think that was happening? Like, do you think it was it was just because you were in like survival mode or because it was just easier to get through the day to day if you just like blocked out anything that was like too difficult to feel because you were just like trying to get through it? Like what like what's the driver behind that? 100%. I think it was the survival mode because like you're literally so sleep deprived in those first few months. But everything you're bombarded with is like, oh, you have this beautiful baby and like, look how cute she is. And like, you look great. And like you like, for example, like I've lost all the baby weight but it's because of like anxiety and sleep deprivation and like not eating enough food not on purpose just because like I'm just trying to get through the days so like yeah I'm better now because I reached out and like got help where I needed but but that's the thing that's the funny thing with toxic positivity that makes it counterproductive is that when you're pretending that everything's okay you can't ask for help and no one knows like I didn't know to help you I didn't know to support you I didn't even know what I could do because I didn't know how bad you were feeling right it's counterproductive because when you're you're actually being honest about how you're doing people can start stepping in and helping totally and then another thing that I that I've been feeling and that I've noticed is that there's a lot of pressure I feel around mom's to, ha- to be able to do it all like you can mm. be a mom and like have a business and work and do all these things and I think that's a very positive message 100% but it yeah. also it can be very overwhelming I think it was like a really hard reality check for me because I didn't anticipate that I'd have to make some sacrifices so mm. I thought it could be everything I was before Mia and be a mom that has like no sleep and I had to like sit down and realize like no okay my life has changed And it sucks sometimes, but that's okay. Like, I'm not a bad mom for missing parts of my life. Like, for example, we were at a party yesterday and we had to leave early to go to another thing. And um, some of my neighbors were like, oh, come back later. Like, let's hang out afterwards. And when I got home, I messaged them and I was like, guys, I'm so sorry. I'm so tired. I got to go to bed. And they were like, kind of like trying to get me to still come out. And I was having this like existential crisis because I was like, oh my God, my motto in life is maximum fun. And I'm not being (laughs) maximum fun right now. I'm being like a boring mom. But I think the difference is now I'm letting myself like feel those emotions and go through that existential crisis instead of being like, nope, nope, I'm not upset. Everything's fine. I'm nailing this. I can be a cool mom and like an organized mom. And I just... I'm done with that narrative. Good for you, man. You got to go through it. You got to go through it. It's funny. The thing with toxic positivity is like, I think I'm pretty honest about how I feel usually. And it's like, yeah. that's not, that's not, I've got struggles, but that ain't it. But, <laughs> but I've found, and we talk about this more in the episode that with like the pressure on, you know, from social media and like self-help and body positivity and all these things to like 
love yourself at all times I have found that to be really challenging for me in the past year or two it's it reminds me so much of that scene in Euphoria Kat one of the characters is having like a bit of a breakdown in her room she's feeling really shitty about herself and really unhappy and like all of these women start popping up all around her room being like you just need to be a bad bitch you just need to love yourself but they're like literally hurling every positive quote from Instagram at her and it's making her feel worse like it's making her feel so much worse because now she feels guilty about feeling bad and like Mm. you don't need all those layers of shit if you're feeling bad about yourself you now don't need to feel bad that you're feeling bad about yourself right you know (laughs) you're making we're making it worse sometimes and so so I've found that's like come up a lot for me is that I'll feel really guilty for having a negative feeling and Mm. I'm like judging myself when I when I don't feel 100% about myself or about my life but one thing that's really helped me grasp how to like get out of toxic positivity is that two things can be true at once and I just keep telling myself that all the time it's like my new mantra I don't need to fight my emotions or label them as bad or judge myself for them because I can be grateful for my life and still feel upset I can love someone and be disappointed in them I can love my job and feel really stressed and anxious at work one day like it's yeah feelings are just feedback So if you're blocking out all of those feelings and just like subscribing to toxic positivity, you're missing like data points that could actually Mm -hmm. help you. So we really have to feel them because that that's that's our guide is our feelings. That is huge that two things can be true at once because that's literally exactly how I feel. It's not so black and white. And that's like the problem with people being like, oh, you should just be so grateful for what you have. It's like, yeah, I can be grateful, but I can also want these other things for myself like that's that's the hard part about it I think that's and I think that's really important because gratitude is a really awesome tool to have and it can help you feel better about something but that doesn't mean you're still not allowed to feel bad about something and I also think that's a lot of people's discomfort with complex emotions and that Mm -hmm. can be like in yourself you're not comfortable with like feeling difficult things and you judge yourself for it or like in your friends and your loved ones when they're going through something tough you're feeling really uncomfortable you don't know what to do you just want to like fix everything you just want to make it better so you just start doing unhelpful things you try to fix it for them you don't hold space for them to just be upset even when you look at like kids crying I don't mean like babies because babies cry and it's usually there's there's a reason reason. (laughs) like there's a solution and there's a reason a lot of the time but if you like a five-year-old is just crying And the parents like, stop crying, stop crying, don't cry, don't cry. They just want to fix it because they're so uncomfortable seeing their child in distress. And that makes sense. I get it. But also we're raised and trained our whole lives that like negative emotions are bad. We have to combat them and and never feel them. We just need to break out of that and acknowledge that happiness can always be our goal, but it's not going to be the status quo all the time. But we are not the experts, so we called in Whitney Goodman. Whitney is the radically honest psychotherapist behind the hugely popular Instagram at Sit With Wit, which we and half a million other people are obsessed with. It's such a great account. We honestly just learned so much from following her on Instagram, so definitely do it. She's also the author of the book Toxic Positivity. She's a columnist for Psychology Today, and she appears regularly in publications like The New York Times and Teen Vogue. And Whitney's the owner of the Collaborative Counseling Center, which is a therapy practice in Miami. And she's honestly just such a breath of fresh, honest air with her (laughs) real talk, her really unique approach to therapy. I feel feel healed from my toxic positivity after this episode. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Teach us how to ditch toxic positivity, Whitney.
Thank you so much for being here today with us, Whitney. We're so excited to talk about this. I personally am a recovering toxic positivity human being. (laughs) Your book has been so helpful because I had no idea what I was doing was toxic to both myself and the people that I love. So thank you for researching this and for putting this book out there. <laughs> thank you so much. It's, it's hard to admit when we're the ones that have been oh, doing yeah. it. So I appreciate that. No, my name is Kaylin and I suffer from toxic positivity. <laughs> so here we we're go. here for you, Kaylin. <laughs> thank you so much. What we want to kick it off with is just asking what's the difference between having healthy optimism and toxic positivity? Because I think that's what I was struggling with the most, just sort of finding that fine line. Mm -hmm. So you can be optimistic and not engage in toxic positivity. And what that really means is that you allow yourself and other people to hold space for the good, the bad, and the neutral. So I can say this time has been really hard. I don't like being a pandemic. It's been frustrating. And I don't think it will stay like this forever. Or these things are in my control that I can work on. Or here's how I can implement some joy in my day and really just allowing ourselves to make space for that entire experience and not just focus on one end or the other being okay with also like two things at once I think Mm -hmm. a lot of like I that was a a light bulb moment for me I think I was listening to Glennon Doyle's podcast and she was talking about exactly this and saying how I can feel grateful and feel upset. I can be like glad to be married, but also be very frustrated with my marriage. Like you can be two things at once and they don't always line up and that's okay. We're humans, we're complex, but I feel like a lot of us are just kind of taught and believe that you have to like only feel the good part and and negativity is like, should be avoided at all costs. Exactly. Or even if you do feel both of them, it's like, well, I need to get rid of that bad thing um, and just get to the happy, you know, which can be really difficult and unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, we've, we've kind of already touched on that, but like, how do you, how do you avoid like dwelling in the negativity and find that balance between like allowing yourself to embrace that things aren't great while still, still being optimistic? I think a lot of people are really afraid that if they acknowledge the bad parts that they'll get stuck there And what I have really found through my work as a therapist is that the more people have to suppress or deny or ignore, they actually end up getting more stuck and for longer periods of time. And so the way to not get stuck is to allow yourself to be like, this is hard. This is difficult. This is what's happening for me. And then sort of shift into this mode of like, okay, this is happening And I still need to live and assert control over my life and find the good. And so how can I give myself permission to talk about this and also maybe to do something about it or learn to radically accept what's happening in my life so it's not causing me as much discomfort? Yeah, Yeah, I I relate to that a lot because I feel like the reason why I have been toxically positive in the past is because I just I don't want to deal with my feelings. So why do you think we do that? Or why do I do that? Like, is it just a safety blanket that I have over me? Is it just, you know, discomfort? Yeah. So a lot of people, I think, were raised in homes where emotions weren't really taught or prioritized. Right. I know I was like I wasn't really encouraged to show anything but happiness. And when we see this with our parents and we hear them tell us like, I just want you to be happier. They don't teach us how to process any other emotions. It's only natural that we're going to get uncomfortable 
with everything else that we might be feeling. And so I think a lot of what drives this use of toxic positivity is one, that it's ingrained in us. We've heard these things repeated all the time. And we don't have the skills to sit in that discomfort with other people. We just want to fix it, make it better. It certainly comes from very good intentions. I don't think people using this are like bad or toxic in some way. It's just what they think they're supposed to do. Yeah, you're conditioned. And even, I don't know, I feel like there's also a degree of like consumerized like happiness where everyone is like, pay money to be happy, do this and you'll be happy. Like society has become really focused on always becoming like happier and happier. And I think that there's this like baseline of happiness that we just kind of, what's it called? There's a name for this, hedonic adaptation or something. I was hearing this on a podcast and it was kind of, you can look at it both ways. It's like, maybe it's not a super hopeful thing, but it's, it's almost a relief that there's all of this research that shows that you kind of have a baseline of happiness. And so we keep trying to like unlock more, unlock more, unlock more. But it is like, it's evolutionary that you'll then just return at each level. You get a new house, you get a new job, you get a new thing. You're always just going to return to a baseline of happiness that is kind of uh, biological to a degree and then might be, you know, situational as well. But even even just knowing that helped me be like, okay, I have to enjoy just the journey of life and not always trying to like be more happy at all times. Yeah. And the more we focus on happiness, the research really shows us the less we feel it because Mm -hmm. it becomes so obsessive. True. Yeah. I could see that. And something that I, I would love some help with in my life is navigating how to deal with friends and family who really placate and and then end up dismissing our struggles through toxic positivity. I've experienced that a lot in the past few years, like when I was dealing with the death in the family and people were like, oh, well, you know, it's a, at least she lived a full life or at least she made it to like, you know, an old age. And it's like, but it doesn't make me feel better. And I know you just don't know what to say and your intentions are good. Even recently yeah. I went through like a tough breakup and someone really close to me literally said, better to know sooner than later. And I'm like, well, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> That's, you don't yeah. need to turn this into like, it, it just pissed me off. And, but a lot of people really struggle with just A, not tr- their default is to like, I'm going to make you better. Or B, mm-hmm. they're just like uncomfortable with sitting with pain. So exactly, how do we deal with those friends and family members? <laughs> the first thing I think it's important to do that you said is like, kind of validate for them that I know you're trying to make me feel better. I know this is coming from a good place, or I know that you think this would be helpful. And like saying that in a really kind way, I think disarms the other person. Mm -hmm. And then I do think it's our responsibility to teach people what's helpful for us and what we like to hear in these moments. And so saying, I know you think this is helpful, but I would really appreciate if you would just let me vent or if it would be okay if I cry and you tell me not to cry, or if (laughs) you could go do X with me, or just let me talk about the person that I lost and really getting into like, what's actually helpful for you to give people the opportunity to change. And if they don't, and they continue to do this to you, you might have to set a boundary for yourself of like, that's not my person when I'm struggling to go to. Yeah. It's been a big shift. Like I find now that I go to the people in my life and my friends that are more likely to just be like I'm really sorry dude that sucks like it sounds like that was a shit day or like there's just no there's no good thing to say right now but like I'm here for you and I'm like 
It's such a relief. I'm like, thank you. That's actually all I needed. (laughs) Yes, those are perfect ways of responding. Do you have more advice on how we can be that friend that can just sort of sit there with our loved one when they're going through something and not, you know, throw out those kind of pacifiers if it's going to be okay? Like, what Mm -hmm. other advice do you have to give so that we can avoid being that friend? Yeah, Yeah. being being that friend. Whenever you feel that urge coming over you of like, oh, I want to give a platitude or I want to fix this. I think it's important to like check in with yourself and validate that like, okay, sitting with someone in distress is hard. This is making me uncomfortable, whatever it is, and do that for yourself. And then I always recommend that people go with either validation or seeking understanding. And so validation would be some of those that you brought up, like, this is hard. That sucks. I hate that you're going through this. Like really trying to just solidify that you agree or you feel what they're feeling. The seeking understanding is more about like trying to allow the person to talk about what they're going through or to give you a better um, grip on what it is so that you can be more helpful. So what's the hardest part? Like, what are you most worried about? What are you struggling with? Like asking questions. Do you want advice? Do you want to just vent? Like trying to get in touch with that. I love that. That's very helpful. If you don't know what to say, I think actions can go a long way. So I I feel like I've had, I appreciate it, but I've had a lot of of people in my life just be like, we're here for you. But then, but then there's nothing else. Like it's literally just (laughs) saying we're here for you. I'm here for you. And it's like, I like, I appreciate you saying that, but like, it would be so much better if instead of saying like, we're here for you, you actually just like showed up at my doorstep and was like, I know you're struggling. I'm here to give you a hug or like, Hey, let's just like get together. And just like, if you don't want to talk, we'll watch a movie, but just show people instead of just like throwing out a one-liner. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, put your, you know, money where your mouth is and like try to back up some of the words of even like, if the person says they want to be alone, okay. Like, can I send you food? Can I drop something off? Like Mm -hmm. trying to do things that show support is really important and works so much better than a platitude. Yeah, that's so true. Is it okay to ask someone if they're just doing toxic positivity? Like if you have a friend or a family member who you can tell they're not okay, like you can tell Mm -hmm. things aren't going well, but when you try to talk to them about it, they're just not, they just don't want to, they're not opening up, they're closed off. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Do you just have to accept that? Or is there something you can do to kind of like help them see that they can, they can open up and not be fine? I think that sometimes when people do that, it's either they do feel that way, they're fine, or they're too scared to open up or they don't feel comfortable yet. And I, we have to really like meet people where they're at. I have people that come to therapy and I can tell they're really not doing well, but it takes them like six weeks, you know, to trust me enough to get into it. Mm -hmm. So one thing you can do is like model that behavior of like you talking about things that are hard for you or it being okay to talk about that stuff. And you can also say things like, all right, I'm glad you're good. If that changes, I'm here. Or Mm -hmm. if I was in your situation, I might not be feeling that great. And like, I understand if you want to talk about it. That's great advice. I like your advice of modeling. I think that's, that's so key because then the person feels safe enough to talk to you about whatever they're going through if they know you're sort of yeah. with in it with them and you're being vulnerable so yeah. they feel they can be vulnerable yeah, yeah that one exactly I also want to talk about complaining because I feel like no one likes a complainer and no one wants like a friend that's always complaining but also sometimes you just need to vent and sometimes you're just in like a, a chapter that sucks and you're gonna want to complain so how can we just talk about our shit in an honest way without being really 
annoying and overly negative for everyone around us. Yeah, complaining is a lot like negativity and positivity. There are extremes to it that are unhelpful. And then it's great if we can find that middle lane. And what we really see in the research on complaining is that it can be quite effective when we know exactly what we're complaining about, what our goal is, what we want the result to be, and who can make that happen. And sometimes that might just be that we want to vent or share. Other times we want like an actual change or end result. Hmm. Smart. So not complaining just for the sake of like talking shit, but actually complaining when there's like a goal and a purpose. Yeah. But sometimes that goal can just be like, you know, we all complain about stuff. Like how many times do people complain about like traffic? And sometimes (laughs) it's just because they want to like connect with other people, feel heard. That is the goal that I know I've walked into meetings before. I'm like, oh, the traffic sucked, whatever. And people are like, yeah, me too. I hate traffic. And then after that, you're like, all right, I'm better. I'm done. Then if True. someone were to say to you, like, you really should stop complaining about the traffic and like be grateful you have a car, you know, oh my God. I just think that just makes no. me so annoyed. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes we bond through like a shared negative feeling. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a way that we connect with other people. Like not all complaining is bad. Is there a type of complaining that, that we should be careful of? So in the book, I talk about getting stuck in like complaint loops. And this is typically the type of complaining that doesn't feel good. So if you notice that you're always complaining about someone, you're going to the same person to complain about it, nothing's changing and it feels very like debilitating or like you're stuck, that would be a point where I would say like, okay, what's really going on here? What are you actually complaining about? And are you not going to the right people or having the right um, thing in mind when you're complaining? Right. It's almost like complaining without change. Like yeah. it's, if you keep complaining about your relationship or about your job every single day, just always and nothing, and you're not changing it, then yeah, that's a sign. Exactly. Stuck. Yeah, it's very draining for you and the people around you. And that's something you could look out for too, is like that feeling. So I have a, a personal question about how we're supposed to separate how we're supposed to be feeling, which a lot of us have just like kind of pre-programmed as our default now, and then what we're actually feeling because I, I just had a baby, so for example, and of course it's amazing and it's the best thing in the world, but it's also like the worst. Like a, my, my life has completely changed. Babies cry. They're, I'm up all hours of the day and I kind of struggle with always sort of being like, it's great. I'm so happy. My baby's perfect. When really sometimes I'm like, honestly, I'm, I kind of miss my old life and I feel really, really guilty for, for thinking that. I can't do a lot of things I used to be able to do. So how do I navigate those feelings without, you know, just lying through my teeth that everything's okay all the time, which I have been doing up until this moment. <laughs> well, I, I know I've never heard you be so you. honest. I love my daughter, but like, dude, it's hard. It's really hard. I, I have a seven month old. I just had a baby. Congratulations. Yeah, so I can definitely relate to that feeling. And I think you just have to start with like, really accepting that there is no should of how you should be feeling. I think there's things that we're told, and this is where I like that toxic positivity culture kind of comes in, that we're only presented with the happy, perfect picture. And this is something I struggled with a lot right after I had my baby was it was like, everybody else is doing great. 
I'm the only one that's doing bad. Um, everyone else is happy and loves every part of it. And you have to kind of remind yourself that like, there's no should, and you're mm -hmm. never seeing the whole picture, mm -hmm. right? You're never right. seeing everything that someone's going through and how you're feeling is how you're feeling. Then you just get to decide, what do I want to do with this feeling? Does, yeah. Is it meaningful for me? Should I question it or do something about it? And sometimes it's just sitting with it because right now you're in a phase of your life that is hard and there's no way around that. Yeah. No, I think that that's key because I've caught myself sometimes when our friends are asking my husband and I like, oh, how is it? He's like, man, it's hard. Like she's up all hours. And I'm like, no, no, no. But like we have such a good baby. Like she sleeps a lot and like she's great. I, I feel like I'm a jerk if I agree with him. And like, right. I feel like I'm like talking shit about my daughter, basically. Yeah. Like you have but, to defend yourself. For yes, complaining exactly. About something. Yeah. Exactly. But I have found like to your point, the more I sit with it and figure out like, okay, so why am I feeling this way? What can I do about it? That's when I ask for help. And that's when I start to feel better. Like my mom came over to the house today right. so I could come here to do the interview. Like that was a huge weight off my shoulders. And talking about it and saying out loud, like nothing of what you just said sounded like startling or strange to me at all. I think anybody that's been in that position, especially recently would be like, yeah, you don't sleep. It's terrible. Like <laughs> you love your kid, but like sleep deprivation is like a tactic that they use to make people go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a torture tactic. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm being tortured. You, you are. You're not going to thrive. Blink twice if you need help. <laughs> I know. This little human is torturing me. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah. It can feel like that. <laughs> it's also like, it's really helpful to people like me who want who want kids eventually and stuff. And if I only am surrounded by mom saying like, everything's great, True. then my expectations are going to be like so skewed. I'm not going to have <laughs> no idea what I'm going Like you're helping other people too by being honest about stuff. I feel like now yeah. more than ever, women are way more honest about like the physical trauma of giving birth. Whereas before you weren't allowed to say shit. You basically were just like, it's a miracle. We're both alive. Everything's great. Yeah. And now I'm like, <laughs> Thank you to everyone who is open because it's really helpful to know what we're getting into and then we're prepared and then we don't, and then we can feel normal because everyone just exactly, wants exactly. to feel you don't like feel validated. This, like, deep sense of shame. I think back to your question of feeling like what I should be feeling and what I am feeling, like the shame bubbles up in between the two of those of like, why can't I just be normal or like everybody else? Yeah. And if we're all talking about it, that feeling doesn't happen as often. Yeah, that's really true. And I like what you said too about comparison, because I think comparison feeds a lot of toxic positivity and it feeds a lot of like the shame and the shoulds. And we're just surrounded by it with like with social media, which yeah. we'll get into in a minute. But like, I think that breaking down that constant comparison we feel is, is really helpful in allowing us to be like way more honest about what's going on in our lives. Yep, absolutely. And you don't have to share every single detail. Mm -hmm. I think the problem happens when we're really like pretending and selling people a lie about ourselves or about our life. And that's like what toxic positivity wants us to do, that cultural right. force. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I also wanted to, I've like experienced this firsthand and, and just see it a lot, you know, in the world. There's a lot of therapists that really encourage uh, they encourage going down this rabbit hole of like finding or kind of like sourcing 
signs of childhood trauma to explain everything that's going on. And it's very, very focused on like examining your past experiences, attributing everything that's going on to that. And I loved your hot take on Instagram that basically said, you maybe only need to do that if there's a direct link. Like if you know something's happening because of something in your past, then deal with it. But we don't need to like try to invent or create or like dwell on things if they're not actually laddering up to what's going on now. And I just would love you to talk more about that because that's something I have struggled with, with a lot of like therapists and help that I've sought in the past when I'm like, I don't like, really want to do this. Like, I don't think it's helping me. <laughs> I think I'm good. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it, digging things up is more harm than good, I find. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people come to therapy and they don't realize that there are connections between something in their past and now. And I think that can be very fruitful when the client is ready to kind of make those connections. But I've also had a lot of clients over the years that come in and say, I'm gay. And every therapist I've had thinks that every problem in my life is because I'm gay. And really Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with it. Or I am adopted and they think every problem is related to that. And so you kind of go on these like fishing expeditions to make it a clear picture of like, A plus B equals C. And I think sometimes it's really a lot more complicated than that. And I like to let people be in the driver's seat and say like, you know what, that's not something I really want to work on in therapy. And I don't find it valuable at this time. And you can tell your therapist this. And in the event that it comes up later and you say, you know what, I do want to go back to that. You can But don't feel like therapy is going to be this thing where you have to go back to when you were born and start working through everything. I think that's what keeps people from going to therapy because that's scary. I don't want to do that. Yeah, I have like had entire sessions being dominated by like a very well-meaning therapist's voyage into like generational trauma and how the war affect our grandparents and then affected oh our parents Lord. and then affected us and I'm like listen in one in one side of my family I do see how that happened but like that's so far away from the actual tactical help I'm looking for right now today and we didn't even get to to delve into what might actually help me because we're so busy like talking about the war and I'm like <laughs> you can you can go on these fish like Jesus Christ you can, yeah. <laughs> so you can really go on these fishing expeditions but sometimes you just need something that's really tangible and helpful right now and like mm. I love that one of your posts was like not everything is a huge thing sometimes you just need a nap and you didn't eat enough <laughs> yeah. and you need to drink some fucking water and I'm like thank you that is so true I see people being like, oh, I was in a bad mood today. And so that must mean that I'm about to have a depressive episode and I'm not going to be able to get out of bed. And that means that I was traumatized and it goes on this whole rabbit hole. And I'm sure for some people, yes, that is the case. But I find this like extreme over analysis of our thoughts and our life to actually be inducing a lot of anxiety for people. It's exhausting. And causing them to feel like there's a lot wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. I've, I've felt that way. I mean, when I first got married, I, anytime my husband and I would have an argument, I was like, well, we're screwed. Like we're not supposed to fight in our first year of marriage. It should be honeymoon phase only. And we're not going to make it when like, no, you're okay. It's okay to have like healthy arguments. That's totally fine. It doesn't mean we're doomed, but I think you're right. You just get so caught up in people being like, oh, well, what did that mean? Like, oh, exactly, let's dissect exactly. that. Like, no, I'm just hangry and I yelled at him and it was unre- unreasonable. Like, that's just basically the root of most of our arguments. Right, to be honest. right. And it'd be yeah. weird if you never <laughs> argued and every, like, it would kind of mean you don't care or like yeah. that you can't have discussions about things. Yeah, no, it's so true. So 
what is your take on all the positivity that's on Instagram right now and since the beginning of time? I mean, we're a thousand percent guilty of that ourselves, but how can we sort of filter out the bullshit, the positivity? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think what happens is, is a lot of what is online really, um, lacks nuance right and it can't be applied to every situation and so what I tell people to really do is try to like look through the lens of their life and question things and be like does this apply to me are they who are they speaking to is this about everyone and also looking at who's saying the message are they anything like me um what have they been through what do I know about them because a lot of this stuff is just blanket statements that sound fun and harmless, but if you are somebody that's living a very different life, it can make you feel terrible. Yeah. And like you're doing something wrong and it feels very blaming and dismissive. Yeah. yeah. I feel like a lot of body positivity right now is, is really big on Instagram. And especially if you go through either a weight gain or a weight loss, or you have a baby, you're supposed to just like accept your body and be like a good feminist and love all the things that you're going through. But it also sucks. And like, I have, my body looks different now that I've had a baby and sure, maybe I didn't gain a ton of weight. I still am different than I was before. And I have to deal with those emotions and like, it sucks. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be like, oh, I love that my boobs are giant and will soon be deflated. And my nipples are weird. And like, you know what I mean? Like there's so many different changes, (laughs) but I'm supposed to embrace this and love it and love your stretch marks and like all these things. And and I, I love the message behind that. But I also sometimes... I'm like, okay, well, am I not a good woman if I don't love those things and I maybe want to change things or do you know what I mean? Is that, is that making I sense? I totally know what you mean. And I think on like a personal and a professional level, I find it very unattainable um, to love your body all the time. I don't think it's possible. And it's not really like healthy, I think, to approach yourself with that way of like, it's a lot of pressure. I have to love myself all the time, embrace everything. And I think this body positivity movement uh, really got like co-opted and taken and like very messed up by some people because now it's so much pressure. Mm-hmm. And it's another form of like toxic positivity in a way that I have to just always have this glowing look at myself and there's sometimes like if I'm bloated or right after I had my baby, even now I'm still not at the same place. And it's kind of like a reckoning every day of how can I accept this, but also say like, you know what? I really want to fit back into like the 20 pairs of pants that I can't wear because I like my <laughs> pants. Yeah. You know, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that where it goes into bad territories. If you're beating yourself up in the way of like, I'm unworthy. I hate myself. I don't like myself. That's of course, not healthy but I feel like there's a middle road here yeah yeah and holding space for both it really is like I feel like what it all comes down to Mm -hmm. because I really love like the core of the body positivity movement I think it's amazing and even like even just something as small as the Instagram that we have for this podcast is like the only account of all the accounts I have that I use now because we followed so many people who normalize normal bodies and normal things and it's so it actually helped me just seeing normalcy instead of like only unobtainable models and so I love that but I also then the other day when I was upset saying like you know 
I like didn't work out much over the pandemic and I feel like the worst I've ever felt about myself and my clothes don't fit. And every time I made a statement, I'd be like, and I know I'm not supposed to feel this way. And like, I know I'm (laughs) supposed to love myself and I know everything will be okay. And I know I'm still worthy. And she was like, are you good? Like, are you okay right now? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. (laughs) Right. That's, that's such a perfect example of like, you're using like, gratitude and body positivity and all of this as a weapon to make yourself feel worse and the whole point of all this shit is to make you feel, feel better, better. Yeah. yeah it's like all these tools are great gratitudes are great and all of these things are great but not if you're being delusional like yeah. it's like you almost have to recognize where you're at accept it and then use these tools to like improve, improve. and enhance but not like to pretend yeah. exactly and not to dismiss yourself it's like yeah. I feel this way stop have to love yourself like, yeah. yeah like sorry it's not gonna work yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's true I really appreciate like even on Instagram recently that you like you posted like a expectation versus reality of oh like gosh. being a mom and I was like thank <laughs> you for doing that because I feel like I only see these glamorous perfect moments of like parenthood on Insta and like, I know even I got into this weird point where I, I write poetry and like write a lot of angsty poetry and Instagram became such a place of only posts like hopeful, happy endings that I, mm. st- I would just felt like I couldn't post anything I've ever written because all of it was like pain driven. And I was like, well, nobody wants to read about pain. They want to read about like, you'll be great and everything's yeah. great. And so I just like stopped posting for a while because I was like, there's no there's no place for me here in being like honest about difficult, complex emotions. But I think people need more of that. I think it's like okay to be sad and like. And I find those, when I do post on Instagram, like the realities of being a mom, like literally audio of my daughter screaming and like Gabe's trying to console her. Like more people message me being like, oh my God, I feel you or that's hilarious or like, here's what I do. Like they offer tips. So it is, there's some strength in that vulnerability. There's bonding there. Okay, we could talk to you all day, but we just have one final question for you. <laughs> um, so one thing we ask all of our guests is what, what is one thing that you wish you had learned in school but were not taught? I think how to manage and talk about my emotions. I did not learn that until my master's program. <laughs> and I always think about people who didn't become therapists, like where would they have learned this? So I wish I would have gotten more education on that as a kid. Amazing. Well, Tell everybody where they can find you and, and get your book. You can find me on Instagram at sitwithwit. And my website is sitwithwit.com. My book is sold anywhere books are sold. And if you get a copy of it, you can go to my website and send me an email and you'll get access to um, a couple of different freebies, affirmations, journal, things like that, that you can use with the book. Amazing. Oh, amazing. Awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I feel like literally lighter right now and relieved this was just I feel like a lot of people will feel relieved having heard this conversation so I hope so thank you this was great thank you we hope this episode helps you deal with your shit a little bit easier and feel all of your feelings and just remember it's totally okay to not be okay that's just part of life but when you feel it you can heal it so feel it all And we're going to leave you with a quote on how to use your feelings as data from legendary activist and writer Audre Lorde. Our feelings are our most genuine paths to knowledge. That's what she said. So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye.